There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Bill Roden. And I'm coming to you from New York City. I'm happy to say the fellows are back just in time for March Madness. Isaiah George from Morgan State University is on the line. Welcome back, Isaiah. How's your bracket doing? Uh, thanks. I'm, I'm glad to be back. And I'm, my bracket's actually doing fine because I'm smart. Unlike other people, I never make oh. less than five brackets. <laughs> so trust me, I'm always doing well in one bracket. <laughs> uh, Tiffany Hoy from Howard University is also with us today. Hey, Tiffany, how are you doing? How's your bracket? I'm good. Uh, well, I only had made one bracket, but the thing is I'm very accurate in my picks on that bracket. So I think I'm doing a little better than Isaiah. Well, we got some high stakes because all six of the fellows have turned in their brackets are our erstwhile producer, Aaron Matthewson, tells us. And the person who gets it right, gets the most picks, uh, gets a dinner from me. Wait a minute, I'm just reading the script. What? From me? <laughs> who gets <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the person who gets it right gets a dinner from me this summer. So we'll see how that turns out. In the meantime, we've got a great lineup for you today. First up, Jamal Murphy from CBS Local talks NCAA men's basketball tournament with us. He was at the East Regional Tournament last week with Tiffany and Isaiah, so they've got a lot to say about Zion Williamson's last college game, Duke's fall to Michigan State, and all the Final Four competition. Then, in the second half of the show, we'll catch up with former Roden Fellows, Paul Holston and Mania Shabazz. They'll share what they've been doing since they left the program and give their perspective on Daniel Caesar's controversial comments on race relations. So let's get right to it. Uh, we're just a few days away from the men's Final Four. Uh, there have been so many upsets, first, and bracket busters this tournament. Here's a quick recap. For the first time since 2001, not a single number eight seed survived the first round of the tournament. This is also the first time since 2011 that no team in the first four advanced past the first round. Uh, on a happier note, it's the first time the Auburn Tigers and the Texas Tech Red Raiders have made it to the Final Four. The University of Virginia Cavaliers have been to the Final Four three times, but their last appearance was 35 years ago, and Michigan State's Tom Izzo has not won a Final Four championship uh, in 20 years. One of the biggest upsets of the tournament came when Michigan State de defeated Duke last week. Now, it's not the first time Duke has missed the Final Four, but it was a surprise. CBS local reporter Jamal Murphy was there, along with Tiffany and Isaiah. Uh, Murph has a lot to say about the upset and the upcoming Final Four matchup. Welcome back to the show, Jamal. Thanks, Bill. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah, man. You, uh, you, let, let, let's, let's, there's a lot to get into. Let's start with Duke. Uh, Jamal, hi. This is Isaiah George, uh, one of the voting fellows for the undefeated. Obviously, we know who is going to be in the Final Four, but the talk of the town is who's not in it, and obviously that's Duke. Um, almost everybody had Duke going into, you know, the, the championship game and winning it. In one of my five brackets, I definitely did. Um, but, Jamal, you were at both of those games. Can you talk to us about what you specifically saw from Zion and 
what you saw from Michigan State in that game that where they beat Duke, um, and, and, and if they did anything special to stop Zion or, or stop that, that uh, juggernaut that is Duke? Yeah, no, as far as Zion is concerned, I thought he played very well. I thought he met expectations. Uh, you know, he was dominant when he got the ball, if anything. Uh, he didn't get enough touches, and uh, that's really went, where Duke went wrong. Um, I think the biggest thing that Michigan State did was play great defense on everybody else on the Duke roster. So, you know, they, they, they made it hard on R.J. Barrett. They they neutralized Trey Jones. Um, you know, Cam Reddish was pretty much non-existent. So they played great defense against everybody else and made it hard for Duke to get Zion the ball. And then when Zion got the ball, he had to work, you know, very hard to get to get good looks. Also, just to add to what you're saying, Jamal, I think that Michigan State, their rebounding was just so dominant on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball that it was, it was like they couldn't compete, Duke couldn't catch up. And then especially with uh, the only real – what I saw in those last two games with Duke um, at the Elite, uh, the Elite Eight was the fact that Zion is the scorer. He is that team, and if you don't have guys that are scoring the basketball and then you have another team that's out-rebounding re- you, you're going to come up short. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Now, with the teams that are in the Final Four, is there anyone, uh, any one of the teams, Jamal, that kind of surprised you? Obviously, there, there could be more than one, especially with most of the people's brackets busted. Yeah, I think... Well, you know, Texas Tech was a surprise to some. I had Texas Tech in the Elite Eight, so I guess not too much of a surprise. But I think, to me, the biggest one has to be Auburn. Uh, You know, they kind of came out of nowhere. They were expected to be a top-ten team all season, but they kind of faltered during the regular season. Uh, They were solid but not great all season. Then at the end of the season, they got hot, and they carried that into the tournament. And, you know, the, the huge upset of North Carolina, nobody expected that. And then to go on to beat Kentucky, a team they lost to by almost 30 points in the regular season, that was definitely a surprise, and especially without one of their best players in Okiki, who went out with an ACL injury in that North Carolina game. So I think Auburn, to me, was the, the clear surprise. I, I would say that, but I think one uh, the team that surprised me the most, to be honest, is, is Texas Tech. And just since I've been watching the you know, NCAA uh, tournament. One thing I've seen in Big 12 te- Big Twelve basketball teams outside of Kansas, they usually can't make it past the second round. Or if they do have a good year, something happens where they- they're the team that ends up getting upset by a Cinderella team or something like that. So Texas Tech is, is a team, while they-, they, yes, they had a good year, it's just something that I didn't expect from them. And, and it's just from Big 12 basketball all, all over. So I, I think that's my biggest uh, surprise in the Final Four this year. Yeah, you're definitely not alone. I mean, uh, you know, like, like I said, not too many people had Texas Tech in the Final Four, and they just put together a great stretch offensively. They were always great defensively, but in, but in this NCAA tournament, they actually, you know, played very well offensively, and nobody really expected that. So that's why they're there. It was surely in any given March – <laughs> there were definitely some people that uh, busted a lot of uh, brackets out there. Auburn, Texas Tech, so especially Michigan State. That was that was uncalled for. That was really wrong. <laughs> it sounds like your bracket got busted by Michigan State. But you know, with oh, this final sure. four, with this final four, I'm wondering, you know, is this really good for ratings? Because you don't have any of the teams really 
that you thought were going to be there. I mean, maybe Virginia, but, you know, with that loss of the 16th seed last year, a lot of people actually didn't have that much hope in them. Uh, you look at Michigan State. No one really thought Michigan State could make it all the way to the Final Four, especially being in the, uh, the, the region that they were in for the NCAA tournament. And we just talked about Texas Tech and Auburn. Before the season, no one was talking about them. So, I mean, for ratings-wise, you don't have Zion. The Zion cam is now finished. Is this going to be a, a, a watched event or as much as it has been in the past? Um, Jamal, what do you think? Yeah, I think I, I would assume that ratings will definitely take a hit. It's like you said, uh, you know, we don't have any of the, of the real blue blood teams. We, Duke didn't make it. North Carolina didn't make it. Kentucky didn't make it. Those were all teams that people kind of expected to get there. And, uh, you, know, you know, they're not there, and they have huge fan bases. And people who watch uh, college basketball are used to seeing those teams uh, make it to the Final Four. So you're right. Um, it's not a sexy – there are no sexy matchups at all. I mean, really, you know, I'm a hardcore college basketball fan uh, my whole life, and uh, I, can't, I can't lie to you and say I'm so excited about the Final Four. I'm going to watch probably, probably every minute of it, but, you know, I, I can recognize it's not a, it's not a sexy matchup uh, going on there at the Final Four. So I would assume that the ratings will be somewhat down. Tiffany, what do you think? I think that the ratings are surely going to um, have a, a decrease just because, like you said, everyone wanted to see Duke. Everyone wants to see UNC. People want to see teams that they're used to, and I guess that kind of plays into the Power Five uh, schools. But I actually think it'll be very competitive because the teams don't necessarily have a standout guy on any one of them. That is, I mean, I think, I think that is true. A, a lot of these teams are really just good teams overall. But myself, I think the um, the the view, excuse me the ratings are probably going to take a hit, and it's weird because a lot of times people want to see the underdog, right? Team or teams that they haven't seen. I, I all the time is screaming parody, parody, and, and especially when it comes to basketball on the professional level, we don't see a lot of parody or different teams uh, at the top. It, but this right here, this is weird, right? Because Texas Tech. They're in a they're a power five team, right? So is Auburn, but it's not teams that you really would want to see, right? Or you would want a, a maybe a smaller or a Cinderella school, so to speak. These are teams, if I'm not mistaken, none of their seeds are past what five. I think Auburn may right. be the, uh, the lowest seed, yeah. and it's 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 just a weird feeling to see teams like this in the Final Four. I don't I don't know the last time we kind of got this type of Final Four in a while. No, I think I think you're right. It's 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 definitely interesting. It's also true, like you said, that there are all these teams are good teams, and and uh, they had at least at the very least solid regular seasons, and we all knew that they were capable of getting to this point. Uh, it just wasn't expected because we thought those other teams that aren't there, like Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, were better. Um, so you're going to have good games, uh, you know, with like you said, Power Five conference teams in there. There's no true true Cinderella. I guess maybe Auburn is is the you know least likely to win the whole thing. Um, so you no, know, you're right. It's 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 a weird kind of Final Four. Uh, you don't have a true Cinderella, um, and you also don't have you know the 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 real juggernauts. So so the big question as we wind this down: Who's your Final Four, and who's your champion? Well, I think uh, I'm going to go with Michigan State. Over Texas Tech, I think I think that's going to be 
you know, a classic defensive-minded game, uh, physical uh, in the 60s. And, I, you know, I think Michigan State squeaks, uh, squeaks out a victory there, you know, 65, 61, something like that. Um, and then on the other side, I like Virginia. I think Virginia uh, has been one of the top two teams all year long. I mean, uh, they went through a large stretch of the season only having lost to Duke twice. So, so now Duke's not in their way any longer. Um, and I don't think Auburn really has the horses to, to play to play with Virginia in their, in their you know, slow-paced pack line defense. Uh, I think Virginia will handle Auburn relatively easily. Um, and then you have Virginia and Michigan State which when you think about it, is not a bad championship game. You know, we're just talking about ratings and, and blue blood teams and all that. Michigan State and Virginia in the final, is, was, you know, was never that far-fetched. I think, you know, probably some people might have picked that. So if you're going to have a game, I feel like, in the final that's going to be recognizable to people. Um, it just won't – it might not be uh, so pleasing to the eye because it's going to be another – uh, defensive-minded, slow-paced game, and I'm going to go with uh, Michigan State to win that game and win the national championship, and for Izzo to get his second uh, national championship and put him in rare air uh, with the all-time great coaches. That's interesting that you say that because the first thing that someone told me after the uh, Duke game was that experience is going to be talent every time, and when you look at the teams in the NCAA tournament and you want to talk about coaching staffs and the players having experience on this type of level, Michigan State's team has that um, over everybody, even a team like Virginia. So um, I think Michigan State ends up beating Texas Tech, and I think uh, Virginia ends up beating Auburn. So that national championship game, the same for me, Virginia and Michigan State. And I think Michigan State, just because of the sole fact that they've been here before, and you saw that that worked uh, against Duke, just having that experience in those older guys being able to handle this moment, I think they're going to be able to handle the moment on the national championship level and win the national championship against uh, Virginia. But, Tiffany, what do you think? I'm going to go ahead and shake the table. Everyone wants Michigan State. Uh, The board has already been uh, tossed. Let's go ahead and say Auburn against um, Texas Tech, and then let's say Texas Tech takes it. Because I honestly believe Texas Tech can get through Michigan with all that experience. Texas Tech can beat Auburn right now. So you think Texas wow. Tech, Auburn in the national championship game? That is that, that might be the shake lowest it all rated, up. That might be the <laughs> lowest rated uh, championship game ever because I mean that's two teams that <laughs> nobody thought that could be there other than Texas Tech and Auburn nope. fans. <laughs> and, and th- right. but that would be the Cinderella story. There you go. That's the Cinderella story. These teams that no one thought was going to make it to the top two, and then they're duking it out. Let's go for that one. That's, that's I the promise one I think you the, the only people that see. have that type of bracket are Auburn and Texas Tech fans. <laughs> they probably thought they weren't going to pl- uh, play each other in the national championship game. Yeah, and that's the kind of matchup that would make sense after after what happened last weekend where all the teams we thought would make it didn't make it. I mean, it would just be following suit if you had a Texas Tech-Auburn uh, final. So we'll see. Definitely looks like to be an interesting matchup. But I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, Jamal, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us some, your, some of your insight on the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, we definitely want to have you back on the show whenever we can. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And will we see you at the Final Four? I will not be at the Final Four. I'll be uh, in New York okay. watching on TV. <laughs> okay, if you, right. if you see us on TV, make sure to take a picture and send it to us. I will. Yeah, I will. Have fun. All that. 
No question. <laughs> Thank you. Have fun out there. All right. All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to catch up with former Road Fellows Paul Holston and Mania Shabazz about job hunting and Daniel Caesar's latest controversy. The Road Fellows program is a year-long program that trains students, journalists, at HBCUs to produce multimedia content for the undefeated. Now, now once uh, a fellow leaves the program, we still try to keep in touch. Uh, fortunately, two members of the class, the inaugural class of fellows, are on the phone with us right now. Paul Holston was a member of the inaugural class from Howard University. Paul Holston, welcome back. H U, what's up, Mr. Rodin? It's all good. It's all good. Can't wait to hear what you've been up to. Absolutely. And Mania Shabazz, the legendary Mania Shabazz, a recent graduate of Grambling State University, is also on the line. Great to have Hello. you back, Mania. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I still got your package from your ESPN <laughs> Bristol visit. I, it's in the mail. You can always mail it to me. It's, it's, it's shorter this way, you know, and I can. No way. <laughs> uh, and, of course, we have two current fellows co-hosting today, Isaiah George from Morgan State and Tiffany Hoy from Howard University. Yes, thank you so much. And Tiffany Hoy from Howard University. Hey guys, hi Paul, hi Mania. Uh, Paul threw out that HU, so I had to throw out the you know. HU in the building. HU in the building. Okay, all right, Paul, you're out of school now. (laughs) 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 Life for life. Well, anyway, so, so Paul and Mania, we, we really want to hear what both of you guys have been up to since you left the program, and uh, we want to hear any tips you have for the current fellows, and then we want to get your thoughts on Daniel Caesar, on the Daniel Caesar controversy, but first things first, uh, let's, let's start with you guys. Uh, Paul. Since graduating from Howard and leaving the fellows program, you took a job with the University of D.C., District of Columbia. So how's that going for you? And what do you do there? Um, Yeah, so first of all, thank you guys for having me. It's always great to reconnect with my uh, undefeated family. You know, you guys are with me for life and uh, really appreciate everything, the mentorship and the journey that uh, I was able to experience with you guys uh, two years ago. Um, so, yeah, I uh, currently work since graduating in the uh, fall of 2017. Um, I'd say about seven months later after job hunting, um, I got hired at the University of District of Columbia as a communication specialist. Um, so what I do now, basically, um, I work in their community college branch. So how it works at UDC, it has a four-year program, has a law school graduate program. It also has a community college, uh, which under the community college, it has the uh, two-year programs, workforce development, and uh, continuing education. So basically my role as a communication specialist is basically I'm responsible for supporting marketing and communication initiatives and strategies for all of the community college divisions. And the unique part about it is, is that I'm a one-man shop. Um, my role was newly developed, so the the day that I got hired, the day that I came on board, I'm the first person from the community, representing the community college basically as a communications rep. So it's a big, it's a big, uh, vast difference from being a journalist and uh, working with you guys uh, up in New York and D.C., but it's it's definitely, it's a different pace, but it's very rewarding. Um, it's allowing me to open my eyes or expand my horizon 
not just limiting myself as a journalist, but expanding into the communications marketing as a whole. So, Paul, you forgot to mention your photography business. Oh yeah, yeah well, we, we want can, all those we dreams. Talk, we, and, we can we can talk about we can talk business. we can talk about that later. But you know, you know, I'm trying to trying to stay <laughs> professional right now. You know, trying to, trying to be a rep for UDC. <laughs> uh, well, we do want to hear about about photography because that was one of the things that you really did a lot of when you were with the fellows. You did a lot of uh, a lot of photography. Oh yeah, I mean, well, I'll be I'll be very brief on it. You know, uh, alongside the role that I do now at UDC, you know, I I don't want to limit myself to just my salary job. You know, I also want to be an entrepreneur, and I always encourage other people, you know, to go for your dreams, even as you're you know having to do the daily grind of, you know, working your nine to five. So on the outside, I do freelance uh, photography. I mean, I've been um, the last, I really started picking it up again uh, this past year because uh, when I looked at 2019, I, I sort of reviewed what I did last year and, and was like, you know what, I need to step it up another notch and I need to still brand myself as a brand because I honestly feel that every single one of us in one way or another is a brand. The main thing when I'm doing photography is not only to give clients, you know, uh, some professional work, but also realize to them that they need to market themselves. You know, anything that you do, there is a marketing aspect to it. You have to brand yourself via social media, your resume and everything. And I feel like, you know, I, I like to present in a visual way through photography to sort of help people do that, especially mm-hmm. with people of color. So, mm-hmm. Paul. I know that you said you're pretty dialed in at UGC and with your photography business right now. Are you interested at all in grad school? Uh, that's a great that's a great question. Um, so right now, you know, I'm uh, I'm focused on building my work experience. Um, I'm taking a little break from grad school, but with being in this this current job, I am considering you know different areas that I want to focus in grad school. What I want to major focus on. Um, you know, I always thought about doing grad school. I just didn't know what I wanted to focus on. So now that I'm in here, I'm looking into possible marketing, um, possible public relations. So, Absolutely. Paul, we know you're involved with the uh, community called The Cookout. Like, can you talk to us about what that's about and what made you want to participate? So last year, you know, as I was going post-grad, uh, you know, especially during the job hunting aspect, a lot of ups and downs. And I wanted to find a way to sort of find a mental health space to sort of find a therapeutic way to put myself away from all the anxiety of finding a job. So I got back into video gaming uh, last year, and then some of my friends sort of introduced me to this social media platform called Twitch. It's basically a live stream type of social media platform that is mo- uh, mostly gaming, but there have been celebrities like T-Pain, Snoop Dogg, um, a lot of hip-hop artists that's been on this platform that they use to live stream content. So content can be anywhere between podcasts. Even Shannon Sharp is also on Twitch also, to where I've seen Shannon Sharp in certain NFL games sort of come on. He sort of live streams on Twitch. It's basically a real live live streaming, and you're able to interact with him on Twitch. And then when it came to the cookout, I sort of connected with the cookout community uh, back in November and basically, the cookout community is a content-creating community focused on people of color. Um, the purpose of the community basically is to provide mentorship and resources for streamers of color of all kind, 
while also building a safe space for content creators to share their content stories. So when I say content creator, I mean anyone that's maybe a YouTuber that does videos, um, Instagram or Twitter that does sort of art if people draw, um, if people do graphics, if people do journalism. It's very, very, very expounding, but basically it's a space for any person of color with a creative mind to come together, be with like-minded folks. I'm an administrator for the cookout, so I sort of help with some supervisory roles as well. And this is just another way personally for me to help not only people of color in the gaming industry and esports, because esports in D.C. is vastly growing, but also in terms of tech and having more diversity in STEM and technology and stuff like that. So this is a way I'm sort of like getting ingrained to learn more and, and use it to help other people. So Yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. great, Paul. Vinny, uh, I want to bring you into the conversation. What have you been up to? I mean, you know, uh, big time, a.k.a. you graduated from Grambling State University recently. You were a really, really active member of the Grambling student body. Um, so how, how have you approached job hunting? Um, well, to be honest, I haven't found a job that I have quite had a, um, a good fit with yet. Um, I'm still job hunting. I've been on a few interviews, and I have um, one job that I'm hopeful for that I got a second interview for last week, so hopefully I hear something. But it's just been very different kind of coming into the job force. I'm still deciding if I want to go to grad school or not, but I want to make sure I know what I want to go to grad school for before I go. I wanted to work for a few years and then possibly go to grad school, but it's just been a really different experience kind of transitioning from graduating into the workforce, and I'm still learning. Let me ask you this, Mania and Paul, but Mania, knowing what you know now, would you have approached the Roden Fellows differently in terms of job hunting? while you were in the in the program? Yes. I would definitely say all the contacts that I made at um, the Road and Fellows program, just the different things from going to the Big 12 or the NFL draft, we collected a lot of uh, business cards, and I would really suggest the fellows to make sure you keep all your cards and make sure you're writing letters to, well, emails to um, the people that you come in contact with and you know, kind of expand your network and make sure that you reach out to them um, after job hunting. That's one of the things that um, I've kind of started to do now and just kind of go back on those business cards. Mm-hmm. To add briefly to that, what I what I learned mostly as well is the importance of networking and, you know, really just trying to stay connected. I think that's the challenge that a lot of us, whether we're in college, post-grad, or even you know, 20 years into an industry that might still have some type of difficulty in it because it's really, you know, you get the card, you have connected with LinkedIn, might have done a follow-up email, but it's trying to stay consistent with trying to. Right. Go. It doesn't have to be but like. But not a being quote. a burden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, exactly. Not being a burden, but still letting people know that, hey, you know, I still remember you. You know, I still, you know, still want to know what you're doing or you're in, even if they're at like a high position. I think a lot of people get intimidated too, depending on who they connect with based on the role. Like, especially with us at the Rodenfellows, we met a lot of vice presidents, a lot of big top people in ESPN. And, you know, it's like, okay, we got their business card, but, you know, should I email them? Should I, you know, try to connect them on LinkedIn? But really, you want to just not, well, not. Strictly focus on their job title, but focus 
on the person that they are with knowing what network that they have as well, but also just focusing on them and trying to create some type of professional bond or, or connection sort of that way. How do you guys feel about post-grad internships? I know that there are some people that say, oh, it's good because you can get more knowledge on what you want to do after you graduate, but also um, there are some people that caution it because it's an internship and it's not a job, and it might not translate to a full-time job. I feel like that is a, I feel like internships are a great opportunity, especially if you're not set in stone for what you want to do. I know I um, have a friend, uh, Brooklyn Daniel, she's in the NFL vocational program. And it's, I think it's for a few years or like a year or so. Mm-hmm. And she gets the chance to kind of test out what she, you know, wants to do because I, I don't feel like everybody knows exactly what they want to do set in stone. Like some people, they, want to be a doctor, they go to med school, they know what they want to do, but for our field or even go broader for communications, it kind of may be hard to narrow that down. So I think that going on intern, doing internships and taking these different opportunities like job rotational programs, I think they're very important for people who don't necessarily know what they want to do. And even an opportunity, you know, getting that um, company on your resume and seeing that you have, like, a broad job experience, I think that that speaks volumes. Yeah, I'd, I'd suggest, um, well, any internship that you can find for more experience is always going to help at the end of the day, especially for a lot of uh, college students such as us that, you know, you go through the matriculation of school, but, you know, it's highly encouraged that you have to rack up experience. That's the double entree. Like, you have to, you're a full-time student, but you also need to build experience. So, right. like, with post-grad, you know, the same way the Mania said, like, a rotational, I would recommend, like she said, a rotational or a fellowship to where there is some type of security, at least for a year or two, because, you know, post-grad, you're basically, you have real life that you still have to take care of. And at that point, post-grad, you shouldn't be looking for unpaid internships. I mean, you should right. be looking for something that gives some type of compensation. <laughs> At the same time, you're building that experience, too. So you'll have, like, two years of, like like uh, Mania said, Brooklyn, for example, should be two years with this experience on the rotational program, you know, and hopefully with building connection through there, hopefully something will come along the way to where you get an actual salary or a full-time job. Now that you've had some time away, what what, what are some of your thoughts on the Roden Fellowship uh, program, the one that you guys went through in your, your inaugural class? Um, you know, both of you did well as sports reporting, but you've had other interests as well. Uh, did the program hurt or help you in achieving your goals? I'll be, I'll be very uh, blunt. You know, I, and like I told Mr. Roden and, and everyone, the staff, in terms of the undefeated, I am not a natural sports background, um, as opposed to my counterparts in the class, Donovan and Isaiah, who are very strong, very well-knowledged in the in the topic of sports I wasn't in terms of sports but it allowed it wasn't like I didn't know like sports but I didn't know the intricate of like going deeper beyond just in you know NBA season or a particular team or something like that like it allowed me now to now I'm looking on social media even when I'm not particularly focused on sports it's me keeping in the know now you know of what's happening in the intersections of race sports and culture because even if you don't know about sports, you know something culture-wise about sports or you know something about race regarding sports. So there are tangibles that you can sort of build up to learning more about a particular beat that you're not 
necessarily used to tackling. So that allowed me to be more expounding on just limiting myself to just one beat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What, what about you, Benita? Um, I would definitely have to agree with Paul. I um, didn't have a strong sports background, and I was mainly uh, with Undefeated. I did a lot of um, on the cultural side and the entertainment side and HBCUs uh, specifically. So um, sports kind of broke me out of my comfort zone. I had to learn a lot. Um, I had a lot of time to do that. I had two years, but I had to learn a lot um, very quickly. And, you know, just learning from Isaiah and Donovan and everyone in the program, Mr. Mr. Roden, um, they really helped me to kind of, you know, branch off out of my comfort zone. And I also, it helps me today because now I kind of have a clear, more clear understanding of what I think I want to do in life. Um, like the biggest eye-opener was going to the Big 12. I really liked working under pressure and, um, kind of in that communications realm. So it kind of helped me to discover that. So I'm very thankful that I did the program. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's, you know, from, we're going to do a, a not-so-graceful not transition. Uh, those are great insights. But in the last couple of minutes we've got, uh, I want to talk to you guys about pop culture. Uh, the Grammy winner Daniel Caesar found himself in hot water uh, after his comments on race relations went viral on Instagram live. Are there black people in this in this chat right now? I can't tell. Yo, I'm not make sure there is. I love you guys. Yo, you guys are listening, and I love you guys so much. But this, we're like talking about something serious. So I'm like, I don't want to talk about shows or like being, you know, like artist stuff. Why? As I don't know which black people are in here, but I want you guys to talk up right now. Why? Why are we being so mean to Jules? <laughs> why are we being so mean to white people right now? That's a serious question. Why is it that? We're allowed to be disrespectful and rude to everybody else. And when anybody returns any type of energy to us, that's not that's not a quality. I don't want to be treated like I can't take a joke. Mm. I just went through that that <laughs> Chappelle shit and I had to like in the moment acknowledge that I was being king sensitive. Sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And that I need to be able to take a joke just like everybody else. No. That's what it is. People are allowed to say what the they want. During, during, I think, a five-minute soliloquy where he admits he was drunk, uh, he asked, um, uh, why are we being so mean to white people right now? Uh, and the question came up after uh, Juliana Goddard. Am I pronouncing her name? Uh, Juliana Goddard, a.k.a. Yes, Jules. I think people yeah. will know who you're talking about when you say yes, Jules. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, whatever, whatever. His his co-singer, I guess he'll say I'm being mean too. But anyway, um, yes, Jules is his co-singer in the hit song "Best Part," and a lot of people were saying that uh, yes, Jules had was accused of appropriating black culture. It was nothing new there. I mean that that's not a anyway. Uh, uh, Dave Chappelle called him very gay on an Instagram show in early March. Now, now Caesar seemed offended at first, but by the end of the show. The two seem to have uh, reconciled. So a lot of folks have come out on social media dragging Daniel Caesar and basically saying he's wrong and out of touch. What, what do you guys think, uh, Mania? Paul, what do you guys think? I don't even know where to start, honestly. But there's a lot of thoughts that come. Like, <laughs> uh, 
I'll let someone go first and then let me uh let me I'll take it first. Um one of the okay. things that I thought was very interesting with this was um is a part of the the Instagram live. Obviously, you know, he he says that he he admits that he was drunk on the on the Instagram live. But there's one part that that bothers me. Um he said white people have been mean to us in the past, yeah, but what are you going to do about it? Tell me what you're really going to do about it. Um, are we on top of society? We're not. You can win the game by choosing not to accept the winning team strategy. You have to acknowledge the strategy and build a strategy on top of that. That right there is like such a loaded statement to me, especially the part where it says, uh, by, not, by choosing not to accept the winning team strategy. Yes, he was drunk, but a lot of times uh, drunk words are uh, sober thoughts. Exactly. It seems, to me, it seems to me that this was on his mind for a while. And just looking back at Daniel, Senior's, um, Daniel Caesar's background, he's a guy that grew up in, you know, in Canada in a place called Oshawa. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly uh, in Canada. And in 2006, um, the census, there was a census uh, taken, and it was 90% European, 3% black, such as the demographic breakup, right? So that, just me, just looking at that, and I'd imagine it's changed somewhat coming to, into 2019 from 2006, but probably not a drastic from 90% uh, European uh, people living there or your people with European descent. So his idea of what the winning strategy is, that bothers me somewhat, especially with him not being from America and not having to go through, or even if he did, seeing that uh, if he went through the same thing that black Americans went through, he felt as if the way or the culture that white people or European people have is the way to go th- is the way to go about things and black people's way or black people's culture and the way we are trying to fight for still for you know our rights or to be seen as equal as the wrong way it, it bothers me a lot and and for someone to have the platform that he has right and to say these things that that is, it's damaging on on such a huge level to me I feel that being drunk is not an excuse. Um, you know, you put it on Instagram Live, so you obviously wanted people um, to hear what you have to say. I don't think that that was the best move. I mean, they obviously think so, too, since he said that he was drunk. But I, it wasn't the best move to say that, um, especially for fans when you, you know, you don't know how different people feel. But I, I just feel like that's such a, a generalized statement that just really doesn't make sense. You know, like a, a big generalization that why are we being so mean to white people, you know? I mean, obviously you can attest to the fact of, you know, the years of slavery of them being mean to us. So it's just, I, I just think it was a kind of a senseless uh, comment, and um, he's not invited to the kickout, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I hate how, in our black culture, black dollars uplift people, Right. They they bring people to a national platform where they can sit and they can and they can win Grammys and they can propel their careers and then like those very people are the people that are telling us, Oh, we're too mean to white people. Right? Like black dollars are, are what propelled you to a point where you best part was um a hit record. And exactly. Like, we're listening to your music. Yeah, and and where's the love for black people? Why not has he said anything about police brutality? Has he said anything about certain things that are happening in the black community with poverty? The black American community primarily. Yeah, the one yeah. thing I will one thing I will say just very quickly is that 
I believe that, you know, you know as, a, as a celebrity, when you say certain things, you have to understand that your words can influence people in a way that can be very negative. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody has to be out there and use their platform to be an activist. No, that's, that's not fair to anyone. You know, it's a free country. You still do what you want. But I feel as if the thing is you can get away or you can get away from all of these problems a lot of times by just shutting up and just not saying anything. Obviously, have a PR rep, please, for the love or, of God. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of times you can, you can take away half of the problems that, that you see, especially on social media, if people just didn't hit tweet or people just did not say anything. So just keep that to yourself a, there, there's, or talk to your PR person. We're in a shock value generation, though, and he can say all he wants about being drunk. Somebody had to press that button for you to hit IG Live. You couldn't have been that uh, completely inebriated for you to have a whole rant for 30 minutes discussing this topic. Like, it's just, you know, I, I keep up with the pop culture and I get it because at the end of the day, celebrities, how we created celebrities, they make the impact culture-wise. But especially with this, this, with Daniel Caesar in particular, it's just really disappointing. Like, Again, you have a platform. You could speak on anything that you wanted, but you wanted to focus on something that is a microcosm of the bigger problems that's happening in black America. But you want to focus on staying trendy or giving shock value so you can get uh, retweets and more publicity. You know, there's ways about doing that. Now, I know in America we're a type to where we like shock value. That's especially social media. We love shock value. You know, between this, between R. Kelly's situation, between a lot of different things that just, like, popped up in Black History Month. And I don't know if you guys kept up with, like, a lot of, like, trending topics in Black History Month. But there's a lot of things that happen towards black people that you just looked at a side eye. Okay. Yeah. So what do you guys think in terms of, do you think that people are actually being mean to yesterday? Like, take out the, you know, uh, black people always being mean to white people statement. Like, do you believe that? you know, that she was being wronged in any kind of way, or how do you guys feel about that? No. To be honest, I'm not going to... <laughs> think about her background, for one, and how how many times she has culture vultured the culture, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. It's a lot. All right. Hey, hey yeah, we, we've got to... We're going we're to leave it there. Uh, again, we could be talking about this forever, um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to move on, and we're going to thank... Our uh, esteemed uh, former Roden Fellows, uh, Paul Holston and uh, Mania Shabazz, for coming on and giving us some tips and some jewels of thought and wisdom. You know, uh, th- thank you guys so much. It's so great to hear your voices again. Uh, Paul, thank you. Mania, thank you. I promise you, you're going to get your shirt before uh, <laughs> the summer. I die. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but thank, hey, but thank, thank you both so much, and continue good luck. And you know, you're always part of the the uh, fellows family. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for all having the listeners, us. Thank all the you. listeners out there, support the Road and Fellow Fellow Program, please support them <laughs> any way you can. <laughs> all right. How can we follow each of you uh, on Twitter and uh, whatever, uh, Medea and Paul? How can we follow you? I think my Twitter is at Medea Chavez underscore. Spell that. M I N I Y A S H A B A Z Z underscore. Great. Oh, and my my uh, Instagram is Mania underscore seventeen. Okay, Paul. 
Yeah, all my socials are basically the same, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. It's True1P, T-R-U-1-P. Cool. And great, you guys can follow me on Twitter at W.C. Roden. That's W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. And Isaiah? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at underscore, underscore, man of the hour. That's two underscores followed by M-A-N-O-F. T-H-E-H-O-U-R. You can find me on Instagram at T-T-A-Legend. That's T-T-A-L-E-G-E-E-N-D. Feel free to hit us up with any questions or comments. And thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by the wonderful Aaron Matthewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Uh, get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Right Time with Bamani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to the Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make the Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.